Is that you, Lionel? Is that you? Yeah, the lights are out. Nobody's home. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. And Great I, tune. It is. Uh, what's her name? She was on the Carol Burnett show. Oh, um, don't tell me. Vicky Lawrence? Vicky Lawrence. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. Reba McIntyre covered it as well. She did. Reba McIntyre did cover it, I think, yeah. several years later. But uh, it was Vicky Lawrence was a true one-hit wonder. That was that that song was huge, and she really had no singing career whatsoever before or after. No, um, that's what happens when you shoot an innocent man. Yes, right. <laughs> um, okay, that's why I'm not a singer because I obviously can't, right, or have no desire to learn. Okay. Uh, uh, so tonight is this the first podcast since the last podcast? Indeed, it is. Hot diggity. I, came, I came prepared this time and studied for this question. Ah, good. You, you, you did your notes already. I did my notes already. My note. I did my note already. All right. Yeah, your note. And uh, so that voice you hear is none other than uh, Bruce, the moderately agitated male boy in a moderately agitated state. And uh, we also have with us is uh, or somebody you've come to know and love is uh, George Taylor, the boy wonder. Yes. Well, look at that. Good day, eh? Good day, eh? Good day, eh? How are you now? <laughs> are you staying safe? <laughs> Doing my best. <laughs> Although this... You, you were talking about states, and that brought to my mind Joel Walsh with that song, State of Confusion, right? Joel Walsh. I really can't... I, honest, I'm going to be completely Living honest. Living in a state of confusion. I'm going to effort that. I think Joel Walsh. Yeah, state. effort that, would I, you? I believe you're right. Effort that, will you? Okay, uh, tonight, you guys are... This is. I'm going to tell you guys a little story. The guy we're going to interview tonight is uh, he's one of those kind of annoying guys. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> so uh, his name is David Leobach, and he is the president of Tangent Scale Models, which is one of the premier model freight car manufacturers in the hobby today. Uh, it wasn't that long ago at Springfield uh, earlier this year that they re- uh, unveiled a beautiful uh, uh, caboose uh, model, too, that was very, very neat. And uh, they are just a premier uh freight car manufacturer but david is one of these like super organized guys he's a he's a doer he's uh he's a get things done kind of guy so every time we i would interview him at either like the springfield train show or the nmra train show or something i'd say hey let's do an interview and he'd go yeah 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 that'd be great that'd be great and then i'd send him a message and then we kind of and david was always trying to pin me down and even this time he was like well, maybe we should do it. And I said, let's do an interview. He says, well, maybe we should do it closer to the, the uh, national train show dates. And I'm like, no, no, just show up. Just come into the studio and start talking. That's all you got to do. And then we'll handle it from there. I said, you can, we will even release this podcast at, on the exact date that you prefer. So finally, we have the, we have the technology. We have the technology. So finally, he relented and he has come. He's traveled to Busted Knuckle. There you uh, go. To join us. Now, there's also rumors that uh, Ron Marsh from Ron Strains and Things will join us, too. 
But well, is before, he going to tell us what the things are? Yeah, I don't know if he's going to tell us what the things well, are. And we're going to have to keep badgering him until he tells us what they are. Yeah, and we'll keep badgering him. And the only reason uh, that I'm warning you ahead of time is because he's probably going to try to score a free end scale freight card or review or something. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, there's an ulterior motive yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it was Joe Walsh's Life of Illusion. Oh, but, okay. but, but, but confused. But there is a wall of confusion in the lyrics. So. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, uh, Bruce, can you go down to the green room and uh, bring Mr. Lailbach? Early? I guess it should be the Boy Wonder that goes, really. Yeah, some Boy Wonder. He's the newest guy here. He's a little man on the total yeah, pole. Yeah, he's low man on the pole. I'll uh, go. I'll, I'll, I'll go willingly. He might be even short enough to miss his head. Yeah. Yeah. Don't bang. What was it? Yeah. Don't bang your noodle on the something. Don't ding your dome. Yeah, don't ding your dome. All right, all right, I'll, I'll be right back. Hey, hey, David, David, come on, come on over to the studio. Hello, is this the right spot? Yeah, are you, are you, you barely even got in the door and he's talking already. I got a feeling this is going to be really bad. Well, he was yelling at me down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I was singing, I was singing Funk 49 since we're on a There Joe you go. Thing. Funk 49. Yep. Yeah, got to know your Joe Walsh, Lionel. Yeah, could could you hear us in the green room talking? And there was also Funks forty seven and forty eight. All right, uh, were you, that's something I don't know. Uh, were you? Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to be careful because he's using some sort of a voice activated mic, and uh, we'll if we talk over top of him, we won't be able to hear all of his nuggets of wisdom about the model railroading industry. So we all need to be aware of that. Um, so, anyways, David, uh, so you could hear us in the green room. Yeah, there's a speaker in there. I'm not sure if you know that. Uh, you're usually on the air, so I don't think you know it. But there, yeah, there's a speaker that you know plays the audio for you. Oh, so that, oh, who, that's what that is. Yeah. yeah. So, so you heard everything Bruce said about you being annoying. Yeah. Yep. I sure did. Uh, yeah. I'll have to talk to Maynard about that. We can't have that. Yeah, Bruce. That really wasn't. That was really inappropriate. I, I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's uh, good to know that that's there now. So we're gonna have to find the wire and cut it. Yeah. Exactly. All right, David. So is that true? Are you the pre one of the premier freight car manufacturers in the model railroading hobby industry? Wow, that's a nice loaded question to start off with. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I know. That's the way it works here. It'll we'll get into yeah. the easier. We'll get into the softball Ooh. stuff later on. Yeah, I'd like to think that that's uh, that's kind of where Tangent is. That was our goal from the beginning uh, when I set up this company. That was my goal to you know to produce the best freight car models that could be made. Um, I felt that freight cars were ignored by a lot of the major manufacturers, especially uh, being done at a high level. And that was my uh, my going in proposition, we shall say. Okay, so how long ago did you start this company? Uh, the company kind of had its roots in the early, or sorry, in the mid 2000s or so. Um, I had to create a fictional company as part of my um, my graduate degree experience. And um, I created a fictional model train company that um, became Tangent. And uh, that's kind of one of the root stories for it. The other root story is I'd been helping out a few of the other model train brands, um, Lifelike, Proto 2000, back in the 90s on a couple of their projects, including some of their freight car projects and the Jeep 30 and the Jeep 9s, especially the Phase 2 ones. And um, I also helped out Atherm with a few projects. And I helped out a guy named Chris Clune who did a lot of tooling. Um, for several brands um, with some of his research and that kind of thing and uh, worked with Chris to set up a, comp a new company um, 
we were going to do that together. Long story short, that didn't quite happen the way that uh, both of us had intended, and we went our separate ways. Um, he ended up starting a company called Exact Rail um, about a year, year and a half after Tangent was uh, launched and rolling. So uh, Tangent was formed in 2007. Formally, we launched at the Detroit National Train Show. So how did you get involved with all these people that you were helping out with uh, tooling and everything else you were doing? Like, how did you know, well, I've always been... how did you know all these people? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I met oh, them. All right, hang know, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, if he's obviously never listened to the podcast, Bruce. Yeah, it's a good thing we don't score this part. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was, are you, are you concerned that some of the questions wouldn't be great? <laughs> Say that again. I'm sorry. You got me laughing now. <laughs> well, you said it was a great question and I'm thinking maybe you thought some of the questions wouldn't be great. Wow. This is going to be a rough crowd. I, I think I need a beer or something. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We highly, <laughs> yes, we highly recommend alcohol. <laughs> yes. We highly recommend that you do these interviews in a, any in a severely inebriated state, it's much better for you. The more sedated you are, the better. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> yeah. Right. Would, <laughs> would you like the tinfoil helmet? Do you think that would help you? Nah, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, okay. So how did you know all these people? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the real quick answer is I knew people through friends of friends for the most part. Um, I got to know some of the guys at Lifelike Proto 2000 in the 90s, um, just volunteering to help them with freight car stuff. They'd started out with some steam era cars, as you may remember, if you're back, if you're interested in that kind of history. Um, and I was, you know, really promoting a certain covered hopper that they should do. Um, and uh, they ended up wanting to do that one. And I helped them out doing a lot of the research and that kind of thing. So that's how I met the guys at Lifelike and, you know, the guys at Athern. And I think, you know, I can't remember exactly. It was mostly through some mutual friends, shall we say. So some other friends that were helping them with projects and um, I got involved on a few here and there. So, okay. It's important to keep in mind you're, you're free to leave at any time, but uh, uh, the questions just get harder and harder. So lots of people would say to proto 2000 or after and say, Hey, I want to help you with freight cars. So there's has to be somehow you knew these guys, some sort of a connection because lots of people want to help, but to have the ability that they respected, that they wanted you to help them. Must have been there. Must have been some sort of a connection. You guys were all in a club, or you guys uh, knew each other through, you know, uh, illegal gambling or something. Yeah, um, I'd like to say no. I mean, there, there's really no other way other than the telephone. It was all cold calling on my part. It might have helped that you know I worked in telesales in the mid '90s when that when all this kind of started, and I was really good at picking up the phone and you know chatting it up with people. Um, but yeah, no, I. Just, and, and I don't want to overinflate what I did because I think it's, you know, when, when you're on, when you're on the manufacturer side of the desk, um, there's a significant amount of work. And, you know, when you're on the outside, you know, you, you, you help with photos and knowledge and that kind of thing, but translating that into product is another whole, uh, very complex set of processes. Okay. So that's, a, that's a really interesting to know then, because, Basically, I uh, actually uh, in late May and early June, we uh, we uh, I released a bunch of interviews I did at Rapido Trains with Jason Tron and all three or four of the yeah. guys that worked there. And I did I was made Jason's always been very kind to me, but I, but I was even a, more of an eye opener. Just how much is involved in producing either a locomotive or a freight car to the kind of detail that your company does. So, OK, so you just wanted to get involved. So you started contacting people and said, hey. How about this or how about that kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much. 
pretty much. And it was a specific project by project basis at all those companies. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lot of general stuff. Again, I don't want to overinflate this too much. No, no. Well, <laughs> you're, not, you're not overinflating it, but it's interesting to know that, I mean, people are interested in to know the history of tangent scale models because, you're sure. an, you know, you're an interesting guy and people are interested in a company that's as, uh, is, is uh, as good as yours or I don't know, what's the word, that produces such a high-end product. People are interested to know how you got there. So what did you... You say it was part of your your graduate your, your university work your graduate work you made a you you created a, a model railroad manufacturing company kind of like the FedEx guy did isn't that how FedEx started the guy did a university thesis or something like that and uh, for his university and that's and from there FedEx uh, was created I believe something like that I think yeah something like that I have to uh, effort the details but uh, yeah that sounds about right yeah. So that's kind of cool that you just, or what year would that have been? Um, that was in 2006 or so. So is that when you graduated school, university? Uh, this was graduate studies. Um, I graduated from college in the 90s. I'm, I'm a bit older than that. So okay. <laughs> this was All graduate right. studies. <laughs> All right. So through the 90s, through the 90s, when you were graduating college and that, you got involved with these people trying to help because you were excited helping them yep. with slides and suggestions and blah, blah, blah. And then along the way, so let's go back now. Oh, by the way, cue the music. It's uh, none other. Ron Marsh has walked into the studio. It's just done a walk-on on very similar to the way Bob Hope used to have done. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's great to see you. I appreciate the opportunity to. Uh, glad you left the key under the doormat outside of the studio so I could get in. Did you? Were you in the studio next door taping one of those great uh, Ron's Trains and Things videos? Yeah, exactly. Uh, shooting, <laughs> shooting, ad, shooting ads for Model Railroad Academy. <laughs> oh, were you really? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So uh, we, this is uh, you're here with uh, David Leobox is here. You, of course, you recognize Bruce, uh, the moderately agitated mailboy, and George Saylor, the boy wonder. But uh, we're interviewing George uh, or David Leobach of Tangent Scale Models, and I, and I've been grilling him on how he got started. And I also read, I already warned him that you'd be trying to suck up to him so you can get a free freight card uh, to review on your. <laughs> So I, so I wouldn't ask and I wouldn't refuse. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he's we already might be able to arrange that. Oh, <laughs> see, look at that. I already laid the groundwork for you. <laughs> oh my God. I'm practically producing most of your videos at this point. <laughs> well, I need, I need a producer. I, I was, I was on the market. So uh, yeah. I'll definitely keep your resume near the top of the stack. Look no further. Yeah. Yeah. Look yeah. no further. Okay. So, all right, David, have you been a lifelong model railroader? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Going way back. Um, I had wooden trains that were built that were made from a company in Skinny Atlas, New York, growing up. Um, and those wood trains were kind of like Brio's, um, I think, before even Brio or maybe they were made as clones of Brio. But they were the, the literally the same scale as Brio. And they um, I had all the tracks all over the place in my in my room and down the hallway and all that growing up. And then uh, my dad had an HO layout that I absolutely destroyed um, about 
five or six years old. And I think it was for Christmas on my sixth, sixth Christmas or fifth Christmas, one of those two, um, I got my first Lionel train set from my uh, grandparents in Cortland, New York. So and you, uh, that, that started it. So, so are you, are you from upstate New York? I grew up in New Jersey. I was actually born in New Jersey, just outside of New York city. Um, but my parents grew up in, in upstate New York in Cortland. Oh, yep. okay. I know Cortland. I've stayed at the Hampton Inn in Cortland. Uh, and, and where'd you get your first, where was that first train from? Uh, a company that was a uh, skinny Atlas, uh, which is near the finger lake, one of the finger lakes up there. Yeah. Do you know a guy named Dave, Dave Abelis? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Dave, Dave Abelis lives in a, in one town over from where I grew up actually. Oh really? Mm-hmm. And his, yep. uh, all his family, his mother's family was all from the skinny Atlas area. So I was wondering if maybe there was, you guys maybe knew each other or something. We okay. do know each other only through uh, inter- internet kind of media and some mutual friends. Right. Um, but we've, we've never actually met. Uh, I have an invitation to get to his place. And quite honestly, I drove right by the town that he lives in several <laughs> times going to and from Springfield this year. Um, and I bought speakers uh, for my stereo behind me from a store not 10 miles from his house in Somerville, New Jersey, but uh, I I have not been to his house yet, so I owe him a visit. All right. Uh, do you know what what's wrong with Dave? There's something, uh, wrong, there's something wrong with him. I mean, he's not hooked up right. I've never seen a guy with so much energy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Dave, Dave Abel. Dave I, I am talking about <laughs> Dave Abel. Do you know what's wrong with Dave? <laughs> All right. Yeah, see, you guys have the same. That's not fair. The guy's not here. You can't make fun of him. <laughs> oh, I'm not making fun of him. I'm asking uh, a serious uh, again, question. Again, he's apparently never listened to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, all right, so you've been in, involved in trains your whole life, and then as you went through your later, uh, you got into your teens, did you stay with it, or did you do the same as everybody else, girls in cars for a while, or what happened? Um, yeah, there were definitely girls in cars phase, but um, you know, I've always been into railroad stuff, both real and model, and uh, you know, I went to college in the Midwest because I wanted to be near Chicago, where all the railroads were, so... Um, yeah, I think I've always been kind of into it. I haven't really dropped it very much. Uh, turn your camera off there. Uh, it'll help your uh, internet connection. And plus, we don't really want to look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, don't turn your camera on, whatever you do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, okay, so all right. So then, so like as, as you got to the end of your teens, did you start to get into it? You were like you went to school in the Midwest. Where'd you go to school? I went to college in Beloit College, um, which just so happens to be in Beloit, Wisconsin, which is where Fairbanks Morse was located. <laughs> minor uh, coincidence. Yeah, minor. You, you are like you like are one of these. You just love the whole model railroading and trains thing, don't you? Well, you know, if you're going to do something, you don't do it half-assed, right? You got to do it right. Exactly. Exactly. The thing of it is, David, you are like a man of mystery. Uh, I see you at the, I see you at the, I see you at the, the train shows, the big train shows, and people are just like oogling and Googling over your, uh, your uh, booth because they love tangent scale models. So by the time we're done here, people are going to be like, oh my God, this guy's so cool. I'm going to even buy even more models from him. So, uh, you're, you're like, uh, you're like the model railroading man of mystery to me anyways. During the formative model railroading years, is there any particular friends or anything you hung around with that had the same interests or you're kind of on your own? That's a great question, Bruce. Um, I grew up, (laughs) um, right by, 
Northlands, uh, which is a model train exhibit in Flemington, New Jersey. Um, it wasn't Three Bridges. Actually, it's in Three Bridges, New Jersey, right near Flemington. Um, and uh, that layout is where I was a club member um, and I grew up. And it was an amazing layout because it was located in this guy's basement. And then he had a ranch house and he had a normal, you know, kind of ranch basement, 50 feet by, you know, 25 or so. Um, and then he added on an additional basement to his house. So it was effectively just another basement connecting to the back of the ranch house with nothing on top of it. I kid you not, nothing on top wow. of the no house. Wow. And then he added on another basement on top of, uh, or next to that one. And then he added on a fourth and then a fifth. So he added on four additional underground basements to his ranch house. And it was, you know, he had this house in a, basically a big cornfield and he had lots of acreage and, um, he had a train club and he was, you know, really, um, a neat guy, really into model trains was his, was his vice. He really just loved the creative aspect of model trains and loved these big scenes. Anyway, he, um, ended up closing the, the layout in his house and open up a big commercial layout, uh, place called Northlands in Three Bridges, New Jersey, which still exists today. It's on route 202. And, um, yeah, that's where my formative years here were. That's where I hung out. Uh, there's also a hobby shop in Flemington, New Jersey, where I hung out and bought BevVel models and, uh, and, you know, got my formative HO years in there after my short line L phase. Short line L phase. Yeah, it was not a long line L phase. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, man, can anybody hear a echo now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing it. What is that all of a sudden? That's weird. Uh, that's weird. That's weird, wild stuff. That, that's also, that's what Bob Hope used to say. Uh, Ron, this is all of, this show has turned into be all about Ron, Ron Marsh and Ron Strains and things. Because <laughs> I'm Bob Hope now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the that's analogy. Well, you on, just, the road, on the road to Morocco. No, you just, walked, <laughs> you, you just walked into the studio halfway through the show, just like Bob used to do on the Johnny Carson show. <laughs> exactly. And they'd start playing the music and the whole bit. Um, uh, okay. So this is cool about the North end. See, there you go, David, look at that already. How interesting is that? Because everybody, not everybody, that's not true. I've know of Northlands. So this guy kept building basements <laughs> under his, under the property to add, to make this like how big of a, an addition would a basement be uh, under this thing? Um, the basements were, um, were, generally significantly larger than your average ranch house basement. They were somewhere on the order of 120 feet, maybe by, by 50 would be a guess. Um, I really don't remember the exact, yeah, thing, yeah. but they were monstrous and they, the layout that he built was, um, was featured, you know, in many different newspaper articles and press things at the time. It was even on reading rainbow. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I was on that PBS show reading rainbow and, um, and I was on it with LeVar Burton, the host, and yeah, it was kind of, you know, all these experiences I had as a kid, you know, it was kind of neat, you know, living, growing up near New York and lots of train stuff and lots of, you know, passenger trains, freight trains just on the local railroads and then lots of model train stuff around. Cause there's quite a few legendary clubs in New Jersey and hobby shops and, um, you know, the, yeah, it's just a great spot. So we're 20, something's happening when I talk now. All right, we'll try it. So we're 24 minutes in. And uh, so far, we've discovered that you were a part of the Northlands in the, in its early days. You were you were on Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton. 
<laughs> I knew this. I knew. I can always tell these to these guys that are tough to get the information out. There's like tons and tons of information in there. You were with how? So how many times? Were, like reading Rainbow came once to this layout or what? Yeah, reading Rainbow came once to do a feature. They they had kind of a if I remember right, and I don't remember the episode, but I bet you could Google it. Um, there's a there was like a an imaginary story time thing where he goes back in time and uh there was something about riding a train and the the model trains were a big part of that and they would folk they would they would have pictures of him standing inside of this layout with model trains running around him in various angles and that's what this layout was famous for northlands and and still is kind of famous for these really huge you know 20 to 30 foot scenes where there's just you know all this incredible rock work and that kind of thing um, you know, not, not a prototype modelers thing, but very, it's like Malcolm furlough, but much more, um, dramatic, shall we say? Yeah. Whatever happened to Malcolm furlough? There's a guy, there's a guy we'd like to track down reading. They rode, rode off into the desert. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. I vaguely remember that LeVar Burton thing with him standing amongst the model railroad and all that stuff. That's fascinating. And well, we'd love to spend more time. I know you'd like to spend another hour on on Northlands, but we can't. We have too much to cover. So, okay. So, how how old? This is like what? Do you mind if I I ask of how old of a man you are? I am forty seven. Okay, so this was back in the eighties, then. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, and okay, so during the eighties, you got involved with these guys, and then out of school. So, what is that noise, boy? Anybody figure that out? Anybody? No, it sounds like somebody's getting feedback somewhere. Uh, we'll keep trying. Do you have a headset of any kind there, uh, uh, David? I unfortunately do not. You have earbuds. Um, I can do that if you give me a couple minutes. Yes. All right, we can give you a couple minutes. All right, give me a second. All right, we'll do that. You're gonna leave this in the podcast, right? Oh yeah. This oh is yeah. A- Nothing plays cool. better than some dead air. That's <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's why we have elevator music. Exactly. What's new at What's new at Hey, we might keep this in. What's new at Ron's train? Hey, have you de- Have you determined whether whether or not you're ever going to tell us what the tr- things are or what? Oh, I, I keep telling people what the things are, but it changes every week. So things is is a variable, something like a constant in engineering equations. Exactly. That's Ron's trains and whatever I decide my other hobby is that particular week. I think that feedback might be coming from Ron. I'm I'm wearing my headset. I just don't know. I I was hearing it too, but. Yeah, but turn your camera back on for a minute, Ron. Okay. I'm in a different location. Yeah, I see. you, You got stuff hanging on the wall back there. Check this out. Yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to claim that, but I can't. Oh, where you got, are you? you? Got a garage sale? I am in. No, I sat in a lawn chair inside of a deer blind and watched my son when he was twelve years old take that deer. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And I've told him from that day to this, you're ruined for life. You'll you'll be trying to you'll be trying to match that for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's a nice looking. Is that what turkey feather fan behind it? Yeah, on turkey. He got he got that turkey and that deer and a thirty nine and a half inch northern all in the same year when he was twelve years old. Holy cow! And he's never beat he's never beat any one of them. 
Wow. <laughs> 12, 12 was a big year for, for Nate. <laughs> That's impressive. So are you in, in your house, Ron? Yeah, I'm in my son's room. Everybody, uh, uh, my wife and younger son took over the basement. It's, it's the, it's the season finale of Survivor. Oh. Which, you know, just give me a rock to beat my head against as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, there you so, go. um, so they kind of took I, over the basement. I, I have to go on record is having never seen a single episode of Survivor in all the number of years it's been on the TV. Well, you're so. missing the season finale. <clears throat> Well, well oh, oh, actually, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, are you ready to go, David? I am. Um, my wife is a nurse practitioner, and she took her headset to work, so I don't have one. But what I'm going to do is I'll mute every time you talk, so I'll just well, trigger well, the mute button. Well, I don't think it's me, but I can do it. All right, Ron, you mute. Let me see if it's you. Maybe it is. All right, Ron, you stay muted for a minute or forever. Uh, okay, so uh, where were we? We were at the stage where you have we have identified that you were at Northlands in the eighties, and you were they had an actually had an actual club there, eh? Yeah, they did. They had a club of modelers, uh, all HO scale guys, and uh, various prototypes. Um, a lot of steam back in that time. This was the eighties, basically, and there was a lot of what I remember is a lot of River Rossi steam engines. So, yep. Wow. And did you have any kind of a layout as you, like, when did you, as you, okay, after school, did you, where did you settle after school? Um, I used to go to the hobby shop a lot of days of the week and my mom would pick me up um, because she had to run errands or whatever in town. So um, when I was in high school, almost every day I would go to the hobby shop and see what was new and then she'd pick me up. Um, but yeah, I had to lay out growing up to answer that question. Um, several of them, actually, it was mostly just a a very like several four by eight sheets of plywood that were um, arranged in different places in the basement. And there were a bunch of like bascule bridges connecting them. It was a Lionel layout. And then I kind of uh, pulled all those tables together and made a large HO scale loop where I could run, you know, a 50 car train or whatever. So double track loop kind of thing. Wow. And so, but after like university, where did you settle? Oh, I'm sorry. No, don't um, be sorry. I, I, no, the questions are all over the place, and that's interesting, too. So I was just reading, like, after university, like, where did you finally... Do you mind if I ask you why you what you went to university or college for? What was your major? Sure, yeah. Uh, my major was in, uh, was in history, um, which is kind of funny, because I think uh, Jason Schron at Rapido was an art history, or was going to be an art history major, if I remember right. Um, so yeah, I was going to be a history major and a music major. I was I actually have a double major, bachelor's art, bachelor of arts in both of those from Beloit College of Beloit, Wisconsin. Um and then um and then yeah, and then I got a master's degree uh in the 2000s as well, a dreaded MBA. Ah, the dreaded MBA. Uh, yep. I I graduated high school in grade 12, so I'm pretty proud of that. I got That's excellent. Yeah, I got a pretty good score. I pretty got a pretty good mark in grade 11 geography. Um, so no one, no one's ever actually seen the diploma though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay. So is that what you, was that to, with that, uh, that schooling, was that to be like a history professor in university or something or, um, at that time I wasn't at all sure what I wanted to do. Um, but I only had a plan to try and work for the railroad industry. And I had a stack of rejection letters. That's probably about a half an inch tall. Um, and I still have it and it's from every class one and Amtrak and 
Um, I think I even have one from Via. Um, and uh, I really want to work in the rail industry. And they basically told me, go get an MBA. So I eventually did. Um, but I ended up uh, right after school being lucky enough to have a friend who worked at a software firm in Chicago. And at that time, the internet was kind of in its early days of, uh, of, of you know, getting people into IT and the data world. And I uh, ended up working for a big software firm in Chicago and uh, worked there for four years. So landed pretty well right after college in a really not so great job environment in that year. And so that's where you are now is in the Chicago, Illinois area? No, no. Um, I moved to Omaha in 1999 and went to work for a small railroad in Omaha. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, okay. So now, now after that four years of working in the software industry, then you get your uh, job in the railroad industry. Yeah. I went to work for Union Pacific in their, uh, in their headquarters there. So I got really lucky. Um, another friend of a friend situation helped me get the interview and, um, it was fantastic. In fact, actually, it's a good story. I'll tell it. Um, so during my summers in college, while I was going to Beloit, I went out to Montana and I waited tables at the Isaac Walton Inn, um, which is a hotel uh, on the BN mainline. All right. Stop. All right. Stop. I know. Now you're starting to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. guy, he's just starting to flat out annoy me. No, and then I went and got a job. I was out in Montana. This is all interesting stuff. See, this is why I wanted you on the podcast. This is all wildly interesting. People are going to eat this stuff up because so many people admire your company and love your products. They're going to be fascinated to hear all this stuff. All right. So at the Isaac Walton, you're in Montana. You got a job as a waiter at the Isaac Walton Inn. And how, right. how old were you? This was um, this was after my uh, this was two summers during my college experience. So I was 19 and then 21 on those two separate summers. And um, I was lucky enough to drive out there and uh, get the job with those guys at Isaac Walton Inn. Great people. Family run. Uh, it was at that time it was a family owned and operated um, hotel by a couple who uh, were from Big Sandy, Montana. And uh, they were kind of ranchers who had bought the hotel and and turned it more into like a tourist hotel than it was at the time. And it became a rail fan Mecca. I mean, it was great because I had, I was waiting tables and meeting all these rail fans 24 seven and literally 150 feet out the, out the front window of the restaurant where I worked was the BN transcontinental mainline there, the Seattle, Seattle and Portland to Chicago mainline. So it was fantastic. So this is like 1997, 98, somewhere around there. Oh, actually, this is earlier. This is ninety. Uh, this was ninety two and ninety four. The summers of ninety two and ninety four. So this is pre BNSF. This is BN Cascade Green five locomotives. Uh, you know, five SD forty twos on the loaded grain trains, um, and uh, just really neat stuff. And yeah. I was lucky enough while I was working there to, uh, amongst the many people that I kept in touch with, was a guy. Um, who was from Union Pacific, and the he was in the finance department, and he ended up being my my boss at UP. He hired me. Um, let's see, that would have been I met him in '92. I think it was '92, might have been '94, and he hired me um, in 1999. So yeah, got really lucky there. Stay in touch with people is the lesson is the lesson there. <laughs> so uh, uh, Bruce, what do you think? Was that a good story? Uh, I'd give her. Uh... 7.9 out of 10. 
Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, it's a good story. Yeah, George, what'd you think? I would concur. You know, 7.9, exactly the same score. In the interest of keeping things uh, uniform, yes. <laughs> Ron? Yeah, make it make make it three seven point nine. <laughs> All right, okay. I, I was going to go higher than across that across the board. Yeah, I was going to go higher than that. I was up around the eight point five area, but okay, I'm sticking. Well, I mean, with really, if you want to get really technical, mine was like seven point eight six, but I just round up. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got we'll, it. We'll throw out the high and the low anyhow, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, seven seven point nine. It <laughs> is take the median. Yeah, exactly. So that's where you are. That's where you live now. Is Omaha? No, 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 there's more to the story. So after I worked in, actually, I have a question. Why does the UP, uh, why does the UP hire a guy with history majors? What is, what possible uh, use could they have for it with a guy that majored in history in university? Well, Lionel, that's a great question that I get asked a lot. (laughs) So um, what happened was the Union Pacific tried to absorb another railroad called the Southern Pacific. If you might remember your railroad history. Right. And um, when they hired SP, things didn't go so well, um, especially down in the southern United States and Texas and Louisiana. And um, they expanded and built a new department that was going to figure out things like why these acquisitions don't go so well. How do we measure the railroad better? How do we think about capacity at the railroad? How do we uh, what locomotives do we buy and why? Um, And then how many? How many people do we hire for crew bases and make sure we don't run out of crews? So those big key questions were the um, primary goal of this department at UP. And um, they wanted to have some out-of-the-box thinkers because their normal MBA pool of people weren't really um, weren't really getting it, shall we say. And that was their goal was to hire some non-traditional railroad people. So um, I was one of the non-traditional hires. The, there was another person that they hired as well as me. That was the only people that didn't have MBAs in the whole freaking building, probably. But, um, but yeah, that's how it worked. It's kind of a good story. So, uh, so you worked for the UP for the last twenty years. Um, I worked for the UP until uh, two thousand and six, and then I left to get my MBA. Okay, so then you left to go back to school full time. Right. And I went to the University of Tennessee for that. And I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, which is where I still live. So you've now got the full <laughs> biography in a very twisted, out of order way. And I apologize for that. I don't think it's uh, 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 David. They've all been moving around. Have, have you been in some trouble with the law somewhere <laughs> on the run? No, actually, everything's been good. And my wife has stuck with me, which is quite something. Yeah. So no, all is well. All is well. And if you feel like just, just wondering, just wondering. Yeah, and if, there, if you feel like there's any anything you want to get off your shoulders or anything you want to say, uh, Ron is uh, by day is a, is a pastor at his local church. So he might be the fellow to talk to, to, uh, you know, if you feel like you need to get something off your chest, you need to. <laughs> Ron? I've got a good, I've got a good listening ear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you do reviews on uh, quality products such as tangent scale models, right? It has been known to happen. Yes, <laughs> it is your microphone that screwed up. Whatever you've done to it, Ron. Whatever, wherever you are, however you've plugged I, it into your. I bet you. You know what? I bet you you're not use. It's not going through your headset. I bet you it's going through your laptop. I'd bet any money. Um, okay. So at at what time then was it while you were at UP, you started harassing people at the, at these, uh, 
model railroad companies? Um, no, that was back when I was living in Chicago. Um, I used, I was harassing the Cato guys and the lifelike guys about around then. Um, and then, um, while I was at UP, I started to talk with, uh, Chris Kloon, who I'd mentioned earlier, who was doing quite a bit of tooling for Athern as well as, uh, all the branch line trains tooling, um, and a few other brands as well. Um, by tooling, do you mean like, don't they do most of that in China now? Um, yeah, the answer to that is, is yes. Um, and that's always kind of been the case, but Chris Kloon at that time had a reputation of, uh, building some pretty good EMD locomotive tooling. And that was kind of his personal passion. And he set up a tool and die shop to do that. Really? Mm-hmm. I think this hobby is way bigger than anybody realizes, like way bigger than anybody realizes. And it's going to be social media. It's going to, over the next, I was talking, who was I talking to about that today? I was talking to, don't tell me, let me guess, our buddy Tony Cook, the editor of Model Railroad News. I was talking to him about it, and I think in 20 years, this hobby's going to be way bigger than anybody realizes. Um, so, okay, so somewhere in there, in the after you, after, uh, you worked for UP and when you got out of graduate school, somewhere in there, you started getting the, the inkling that you wanted to have your own uh, model producing company. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, I I was working with uh, with Chris there in the 2000s, and then um, I actually got uh, two free trips to China as a part of that process, and uh, I got to got to know people over there, and um, and yeah, I I figured out that I wanted to do model trains in HO scale at a much higher level, um, and especially freight cars, um, where Chris's primary lo- interest was in locomotives at the time. Um, so I really wanted to, you know, go into the freight car direction and I was helping Chris with freight cars too, but, um, um, I wanted to do my own and go my own direction there when, when, uh, when things weren't really working out for me to, to hang on with him. So, so there you go. So, so I took it and ran. So you just woke up, bolt up right when, one night in bed and went, I'm just going to make my own freight cars and I'm going to strike out. Like, how do you start a high end freight car manufacturing company? Like, I mean, did you at first like kind of go because so you had some knowledge of how the how the industry worked because you'd been to China and things like that. But how did you like how did you decide which was going to be your very first car? Uh, the car that I chose as my very first car was one of my favorite grain hoppers, the Pullman Standard 4740. And uh, the previous model, the old Athern model from about 1975, really wasn't cutting it. And during the 90s, I had. Um, I had really stripped the Athern models and rebuilt them for a friend's layout um, and, you know, done a ton of detail work to them. And it was like, after a while, I was just like, this is a thankless job and uh, it's a ton of work and there needs to be a better model. And that's how that first model came about. I, I wanted to do it better and ready to run with KDs standard and all metal wheels standard. And, you know, I, I, I was like, why can't we have good freight cars that go behind, you know, at that point were, you know, pretty, gar- pretty good locomotives. Of course, today they're much better. And, uh, you know, at, after things like, you know, life like Jeep 30, for example, which is a pretty darn nice looking locomotive, um, you know, you need good cars to go behind them. What, what do you think is driving all this desire for more detail, higher end uh, product? Uh, because, you know, it's almost like we've gone from uh, the Athern blue box phase, we got into some of the lifelike uh, proto 1000 and 2000 things. And 
all of a sudden now everybody's offering these well-detailed uh, quality models. So what, what do you think is driving that or drove that? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, at the time when I started Tangent, there really wasn't anything else like Tangent for freight cars. Um, that was right when Jason at Rapido had started the first passenger car in his line. Um, that was when, you know, some of the locomotives were starting to have metal grab irons, um, that kind of thing, and not plastic uh, grab irons. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just felt, you know, it was time to do that That in the next round of high quality stuff um, in HO. And I think the market has kind of come along with that, you know, you know, leader leading companies like Tangent and uh, Rapido and some of the others, right? You, you, you kind of, you're, you're pushing the envelope as a manufacturer and the, the clientele, some of them hate it and don't follow you and some of them come with you. So, um, you know, I, I make no bones about it. I want my models to look like the real thing. And when I spend, you know, a couple of days weathering a car at the end of it, I want it to look like a real thing. And when you compare that to a, a lesser quality model, for example, um, you can see those differences. So to me, that's worth something. And I'm not talking about just detail. I'm talking about paint lettering. I'm talking about color choices. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, I think maybe uh, I'm just going with my head. I think maybe those Katie uh, 40 foot boxcars are sort of the leading edge of all this because uh, I think they're what, 40, 45, 50 bucks some time. And everybody said you'll never sell any of them, but they're selling like hotcakes because it was kicking up the detail thing. So, you know, yeah. it's nice that it's coming along. It's it's fascinating to me. Yeah, that's great. I, I definitely should give a nod to KD, which I did not do. Um, that is absolutely true. And the kicker is that KD was doing it, you know, almost a full 10 years earlier than that. And the second kicker is that they were doing it in America. Um, so, and and I guess a third kicker there would be um, you know, they invented a different kind of a process for their models. If you take one apart, you see that it's not put together with glue and doesn't have traditional grab irons and that kind of thing. It's, it's a different assembly process to make it economic to do it here in America. Yeah, but then the, the key is really the Tangent after KD. Tangent was really the first company to, like, were you aware of the fact? Uh, were you, did you have some sense or... I don't know even how what the right way to word this question is, but did you have a, a sense of this is what you were going to do as you were going to push the hobby forward? I, in retrospect, can't really answer that, but I think that was my goal. I think that was my goal for myself. You know, um, my modeling standards have always been pretty high for myself. I don't build a lot of models, but when I do, I try to really build them well. Um, I have a lot of friends that are prototype modelers and I admire their work as well. And I felt that that could be done on a mass production basis for everybody to enjoy. So, yeah. Okay. So what do you, what do you, do you have a layout now? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm building a layout that depicts uh, Spokane, Washington in 1973, specifically the Milwaukee Road Yard in Spokane, which is a small industry yard. And when I say small, it's about uh, 10 tracks. So it's not tiny, but it's, um, it's a basement, you know, a basement size uh, yard that you can fit on a 20 something foot wall. Right. Um, and yeah, that's my primary focus is that. And then there's a whole bunch of industries that surround that yard because there's, it's kind of built in an industrial part of town. So uh, lots of local industry switching and yard switching. And then there's some pretty 
interesting um, operating things that are there. Um, for instance, there's interchanges to and from the UP and the BN in 1973. Um, all the autos that were the uh, automobiles that were delivered on an open auto racks um, to Spokane, whether they came in on the UP or the BN or the Milwaukee, they were all emptied at the Milwaukee yard. So there's a whole bunch of interesting operating features there. I'm really into um, operating railroad history for certain uh, well, for any railroad, but specifically that that part of the world. I love the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. And yet you didn't really spend any time there. <laughs> well, I had those summers in Montana that really kicked it off, to be honest. Yeah, um, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Those summers in Montana had me fall in love with the Great Northern and then the Northern Pacific after that. And then the Milwaukee Road um, after that. So and then I worked for UP. So, yeah, I've kind of got ties to all four of them in, in a way. It's a really interesting history of uh, of how you got here. So, okay, so that first, uh, it was the first, the NMRA train show in uh, Detroit at the big NMRA National Convention. So it must have been, um, so uh, the cars arrived on time and you went to Detroit and were you kind of filled, you must have been kind of filled with quite a bit of trepidation when the show opened that, that day, that first day. Yeah, it was um, it was a it was a very scary time in my life because I had made this humongous investment um, to bring cars to a train show and sell them with no previous announcement. So when I showed up there and started selling, all these people walked by and didn't really look very carefully. And then by the end of the day, my booth was mobbed because people were like, what the heck? You know, what the heck's going on here? Not only are these cars gorgeous, but I can buy them from you right now. I can give you a credit card. And I was like, yep, you sure can. You know, and we sold them right on the floor of that show that first day. Um, a lot of people that first day were shocked. A lot of people also thought that it was Intermountain custom painted stuff because it was a it was a Pullman covered hopper. Um, so I had to explain that. Some people thought it was Athern custom painted stuff. And I was like, no, look at the detail. Um, no disrespect to Athern, but their 4740 covered hopper was tooled in 1975. So it's you know, not, not cutting edge in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a shock. I showed up at that show with a large 40 Econoline uh, rented van full of models. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool. Like that's, uh, you know, like I, I was kidding you at the start, but that's one of the things that has drawn me to you is, uh, you know, you, you're, you take it extremely seriously. You're obviously a good businessman. But you also have the ability to uh, uh, relay the story in a way that's like you say, you had no idea what you were doing, which is really when you think about it, the, the investment and in everything is like you just somehow you just went out there and you wanted to do this and you kind of ha- hung on for dear life to see what was going to happen. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> so what, where was your wife in all of this? Was she like. Like, how did you convince her? How did you convince yourself? That's a better question. How did you convince yourself? What was it that made you think that this was a good idea? Because from what I know of of, uh, of manufacturing uh, models these days is there's a, there's a large upfront investment to create the tooling and everything. You have to create an association or a, or a working relationship with a factory in China. So there's a lot of upfront expense before you sell one single freight car. So do you remember what it was that how you convinced yourself this was a good idea? Um, that's a great question. I I had a series of of um, a series of ups and downs, shall we say, um, on that road. You know, it's 
it takes a it takes a lot of um of of uh fort what's the word fortitude to really yeah. decide that you're going to do that and um, it takes a lot of negotiating with a spouse that you're going to you know mortgage your house to buy tooling and oh by the way we need to you know come up with another <laughs> that same amount of money a second time to actually run the production on that tooling so yeah i mean there's a it's a humongous leap of faith so people like um people like tangent or or you know other brands like, um, like, you know, exact rail or Moloco or, you know, some of those other brands, like even Jason, I guess, you know, you, you know, I said, well, leave a faith, you know, you're, you're really just, you're just going, you know? And, uh, and if you look back, you're probably not going to do it, you know? Okay. Well, this would lead into my perfect argument, how I say the hobby's growing and so many manufacturers will say, well, I don't think it's growing, you know, it's kind of changing and blah, blah, blah. I mean, for you to have that much faith in going, yeah, these are going to sell, uh, you know, I think it must be kind of a, it's kind of a, a strange, not strange. I don't know what the word would be, but I get the sense that the guys like you that are the leading manufacturers, uh, you know, it's, I get, I get it. You're not making billions of dollars. Like I get that. You're not making billions of dollars, but at some point you had to think to yourself, this is a good business model because people are going to buy these things. And, and as it turns out, they did because people are always looking for quality products. I think a lot of that too is people are fascinated by miniatures and the better the miniature is, the more drawn to it they are. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think, um, I, I think that's exactly what motivates people. And I think I said this to you one of our times we've chatted. I don't know if it was the last one or the time before that, but um, I think that people are at the point in their lives where they want certain things and when they see it, they buy it. And um you know, I think we have a more advanced market right now. Um, and you say it's growing. Um, I agree, but I think that part of its growth is because a lot of the people, um, have more money these days than they did 10, 15 years ago, thanks to things like the stock market or, you know, higher paying jobs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of it, but I think the hobby, I, I, I will, you know, I, I'll go to my, uh, well, we won't talk about that, but I'll go along in the future <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, thinking to myself that the social media has just, a, the hobby was, we were self-isolating in this hobby until social media came along and exposed all of our, you know, it's just like this, like nobody would have, this is going to be, this is a great interview. You're a fun guy to talk to and people are going to like it. And uh, you're going to find out a whole lot about you. And you couldn't publish this in a, a model railroading magazine. And now for the first time in the entire 100-year uh, history of the hobby, there's an opportunity to meet David Leobach in a way that nobody would have before, which will make them appreciate your models even more, I think. And I think that's what, I, what I've discovered from the podcast is, you know, it makes, gives people a connection to you even more than they had before. And I and I'm convinced that social media is just going to make this hobby ex explode all over the place, and we're all going to be covered in model railroad goo, or not. On 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 that note, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling with the 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 terms model railroad goo, but I'll I'll just I'll just come back and say, you know, I think that um, I think that the growth of the hobby is is good. Um, I think that there are a lot of vendors in the hobby that are supplying a lot of product into the hobby. And at some point, I'm not sure that the hobby has enough dollars for that product, but maybe it does. I'm not sure. Um, 
but I will say that uh, you know I'm I'm confident in where my company is going, and I like what we do. And our customers give us a lot of feedback on on both the good and the bad, and we try to run with that as best we can. Yeah, I guess I yeah. get the same feeling from you that I get from Jason Schron that you guys are very approachable. You like to talk about what you're doing, and you're enjoying it as much as you can. So, okay, so how many cars has uh, Tangent produced now since 2007? Um, I think we're up to 23. Wow, that's a that that's a lot. And I mean, I mean, I love it when, uh, like, I was telling everybody on, I've been, I was telling everybody within the weeks after Springfield, I went up to, I went up to David Leobach around uh, 11 o'clock on Saturday morning of the Springfield show, and I walked up to the booth and I says, "Hey, David, you know, just, hey, David, can you we do an interview now?" And you were just like. You guys were buried alive trying to keep up with all the people that were at your booth. It's just amazing to watch. And you you had released that caboose, which I, when I was sitting there interviewing you on Sunday, I think it was, I two, uh, you sold three or four of them while I was sitting there. Like that was, that has been wildly popular, has it not? Yeah, uh, the caboose has been very popular. Um, that was another project where you walk in and you just don't know what it's gonna what's gonna happen at that show. You walk in with a van full of product and you hope that people like it as much as you think they're going to. Um, but yeah, the caboose has been a great seller. Um, we're doing very specific, targeted, era appropriate cabooses um, with all their proper lights and their proper details and. Those things take a lot of patience on our side and tooling dollars on our side because I swear to God, cabooses are modified more than locomotives were. Um, they 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 received the most attention from railroad shops. I swear, I mean, it, it's amazing. There there's it's a just they're just amazingly detailed and the changes over time that you have to document and and put correctly in your model are um, are things that a lot of customers. I think are now appreciating, but, um, you know, we weren't really trying to do a generic one size fits all product. It's just like our freight cars. They're very era appropriate. Yeah. I, I think you're being kind of, uh, modest there when you say it's being successful. Cause looking on your website, uh, all of your product line on that one are all sold out except for maybe one of them. That's right. We have a few kits left, literally less than 10, I think at this point. Um, but we have sold out the entire first production. That's correct. So, so David, what I would call that is uh, wildly successful. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more that's more appropriate. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Um, you know, we're really excited about it, and uh, we've got another run of those coming. And uh, we we don't like it when we don't satisfy everybody. And we've had a lot of people that have been upset because they didn't get their caboose and uh, they couldn't find it, or they found it on eBay and it was already up to one hundred and thirty dollars. You know, which is well well north of what the retail price is. And I get that, and that doesn't make me happy. So, you know, we'll come back and do more. But, um, you know, we're learning. We're trying to figure out cabooses. It's a new thing for us. So, you know. <laughs> so do you see Tangent doing more non-revenue equipment in the future? Uh, the answer to that question is a firm yes. We have several cabooses in various states of, uh, of coming. Yes. I knew this would be a good interview. I'm really mad at you, David, because it was harder to get you to settle down than, than it should have been. I'm really... There's going to be some unpleasantness between the two of us over the next little while. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, before we move on, and while we're on the topic of of successful models, if I could ask uh, David, y'all made your first venture into in scale in uh, was it 2018 with the with the quad hopper? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
and uh, and and I noticed you've you've uh, produced another run of those last year. So obviously you, you had some success there. As an inscaler, I I would be remiss of me not to ask how how the inscale market is looking for you and and how that uh, how how that model is done and maybe what you're thinking about inscale some more inscale in the future. Yeah, so we're taking inscale kind of one model at a time. That's another new market, kind of like cabooses, where we weren't sure. Uh, what we would, what what people would buy and what people won't buy. Um, we're learning about N scale in the sense that um, we're trying to figure out if high fidelity N scale is really um, an equally sized market to HO scale high fidelity. Um, and what I mean is, do N scalers really appreciate that? And I've I've been hearing it on two fronts from N scalers. The first front is the guys that are the T track kind of crowd are unhappy because the cars don't operate on, you know, nine and a half inch radius curves, um, that kind of thing. Right. Because, and, that, because that quad hopper had like a minimum radius of like 18 and three quarters, if I remember. Yeah, we're advertising it, I think it's 15. But yeah, um, and, and honestly, you can easily get it down to 13 or 11. We've documented that on our site. But, yeah. um, you know, we designed it to be a prototype looking end scale car, which meant that it has um pin lifters on it or a couple of lift bars if you will um it has a um narrow uh coupler box it's got side key detail on the side of the coupler box that looks like an actual coupler box not just a rectangle blob um and they have rubber air hoses and because of all those things it restricts the travel for the wheels and you know nine and a half inch radius and end scale is you know, nothing approaching a prototype radius unless you operate trolleys. So um, let's just call a spade a spade. And I'm okay with doing this and alienating some end scalers, but I am not targeting the T-Track crowd. Um, I don't believe that those are the guys that are wanting to, you know, buy my product. Um, I would love it if they did, but I don't think I can make products for that kind of a tight radius situation. Um, so that's been a problem. Um, but the positive side is, um, you know, the prototype based guys are just ecstatic because there's been guys waiting for years to see some of the tangent HO products make their way into N scale. And of course we had an agreement with, uh, Craig Martin of BLMA when Craig was, you know, active in, in model railroading and, um, you know, he was doing N scale versions of a few of our cars, uh, we had agreed to do together. Um, and, or he would do, uh, obviously. And, um, those were really well received and the market really liked that. So, um, I would like to do more N scale to answer your question. The real question is, do I aim towards the T track crowd and nine and a half inch radiuses or, or sorry, nine and three quarters radiuses, or do I, um, you know, do we keep it like what we've done already? So that's a big open question for us right now. That's kind of stymied, uh, development on N scale. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I think your answer though is that you've kind of set the the target of the bar for yourself of what you've been doing in HO. So, you know, uh, to go anything less than that in N scale would be kind of shooting yourself in the foot, I would think. And I think there's a real market for for high detail, high fidelity, in scale stuff. I mean, the you know, the success of things from from other manufacturers that are that are shooting for that kind of level of high detail i think indicates that and you're right not everybody you know the guys that are running you know nine and three quarters or even 11 inch radius you know and probably not probably not your target market and granted that market's not going to be the same size as the ho market but uh but 
but I think I can vouch for a, a, a good portion of the in-scale community to say that that, that there is there's some desire and, and, and demand out there for for those high you know there are the guys that want to photograph their stuff want to have that, that high-end detail uh, may not be the the, the the everyday operators necessarily but that really are looking for that that high detail high fidelity well, you know what you ought to do. You know what you ought to do, Ron. You ought to get in contact with David and see if maybe he would send you a card to that you could re- review on and on one of your videos on Ron's trains and things because you have like almost thirty thousand subscribers. So you'd probably get quite a bit of, you know. And I'd 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 love to do that, and uh, <laughs> maybe after the show, Dave and I can have a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think well, we knew we knew that was coming. Yeah, I don't think you and David should be having a conversation without me being involved. I really, okay, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, moderation. Yeah, moderation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, David, I think it's important for people to realize uh, how much of a quality individual you are, which is what adds to the quality of your company. Um, you know, like I've I've had the opportunity now. I I would say basically we're friends now. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overstepping my bounds, but. Uh, like I think it's I think it's you know a, a quality person who runs a quality company ends up producing a quality product and you seem very devoted to to your customers and producing a product that you can be proud of and that they can be proud to own. Does that sound like a does that sound like something? Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean we we totally want our customers to have a great buying experience and you know we the quality is not only with the products. I mean the products have excellent quality. We try very hard to make sure that they operate well, which means that they're heavy. Um, they're not over NMRA, but we definitely shoot for NMRA. Um, our open coal hoppers are are almost at NMRA weight, which is a big deal in HO scale because in HO especially, you um, usually have a plastic body, so it's hard to get your coal hoppers to the right weight. We do that. Um, we do very well with getting all of our freight cars to the, our other freight cars to the right weight. Our cabooses are very heavy because we want people to think um, like the prototype did and the chassis system and B&O uh, both shoved on their cabooses so our, uh, with their helper sets. So our cabooses are the right weight so that they can be, you know, at the rear end of a train with a helper set coupled up to them. And, you know, we try really hard. Like we go really, really deep into the quality side of things. Our cars have, you know, fully detailed underframes. Um, with proper bolsters and, um, you know, we, we make them look right um, as best we can. Our newest, um, our newest thing is we've, we've been releasing freight cars with different roller bearings on them. So the, the roller bearings turn, um, which was an innovation back in the 90s from Cato probably, uh, or even a little bit before that from a few others. But um, really, Cato is the one who really mastered that and made them roll well. We've, um, we've done that with our 100 ton truck, but we've offered different roller bearing caps for them to imitate the Timpkins, the Brencos, the different types of Brencos, the Hyatts, um, or sorry, those are coming. I shouldn't be talking about things that are coming, but Hyatts are coming. So, you know, we, we go to the, we go to very deep levels to have a really great quality product. And on top of that, the buying experience is something that we want our customers to be happy with. We, we provide pretty darn fast shipping from our warehouse here in North Carolina uh, we sell to brick and mortar hobby shops and, uh, you know, we encourage brick and mortar hobby shops uh, because we believe they provide a function and a service to the moderate hobby. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 
I, I spent my high school years in a hobby shop. I want other kids to do the same thing. So, yeah. So there you are. Here's a question. Your, your caboose. What made you go with a bay window caboose instead of a more traditional cupola type caboose? Um, to me, I wasn't really differentiating between, um, you know, bay styles or, or whatever. But um, to me, it was more of the cabooses that needed to be done. I made a list of what I consider to be the cabooses that should be done well. Um, and that specific B&O class has never been offered in resin or in plastic or even in brass. So that was a great choice for a prototype that I felt was low risk of a collision with someone else. And by collision, you mean another manufacturer ended up making it at the same time or near the same time kind of thing? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's collisions in the hobby, in my view, are are very negative and do no one any good, honestly. And and I take great steps to avoid them, um, you know, wherever possible. And do you, do you feel like, like, do you, do the companies have some sort of working relationship or is it kind of like everybody is cloak and dagger or can you give us any insight into that or would you rather not? I'll give you some insight into it. Um, I, I, you know, I will say that the companies. Some of the companies do talk to each other about specific projects. Um, some companies keep it pretty cloak and dagger and other companies are very open. So I, I, it's really somewhere between all those. Um, I just gave you a middle, a low and a high. So, you know, there, there, it's various levels. I will say that, um, you know, we try to communicate um, with other companies on projects where we think we might have a problem, but it's really hard to know. And Tangent does not pre-release or pre-announce products, projects before we actually do them. And a lot of manufacturers announce projects, you know, several years in advance before they even cut any steel or in some cases even do any design. Um, we don't do it that way. We, we go and take all the risk. Um, and then we bring the stuff out without a pre-order and when we announce it on our website, it is for sale immediately. And after 13 years, people, you know, still are confused by that. I get phone calls all the time. Well, when is this going to be released? I'm like, I, that caboose has already, you know, been released. It's for sale right now, you know. So, so what kind of a lead time are you looking at there from, say, uh, one of your general uh, GATX tankers there? Uh, you've come up, you're going to produce this. How long from that process we decide on it is until we see the the product rolling uh, into your warehouse or shipping? It's usually about maybe a year and a half from the time that we actually start the process of product making. The research and design phase goes way before that. Um, I am a very prolific buyer of slides on eBay. Um, I am a very prolific studier of freight cars. I always have been. It starts from those years of the Isaac Walton, honestly, looking at cars roll by all day long. Um, that's really what fueled my passion for freight cars. And, um, I've, I've just, I just totally geek out on researching equipment. So that R and D phase goes back years. And, um, I really have no shortage of cars I'd like to do. It's just a matter of time. Okay. So that's a question I've been uh, asking myself for a while now. It's like, is there, there, there are enough cars then to keep everybody going. There's that many different railroad cars to keep everybody going. Is there? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your perspective. Um, I think that Tangent is willing to take more risks on some cars than maybe other manufacturers might be. I'm not sure. I don't know the perspective of them, but um, I 
I believe that yes, there are there are certain cars that still need to be done. Um, if everybody attacked freight cars and dropped locomotives, uh, the the market would be saturated quickly. I think that the market for freight cars is not as big as the market for locomotives, and I think that that is a potential stumbling block for a lot of freight cars in the market. Oh, really? Okay. Um, a stumbling block because people just aren't that interested in, as they are in locomotives. I mean, your 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 freight cars for the quality that they are are reasonably priced. I think. Um, yeah, I could go a number of ways here. So I think that the cars are extremely reasonably priced when you look at the part count and the paint um, accuracy, and then the stenciling accuracy of our of our models, and the fact that they actually have real KDs, not knockoff metal ones or plastic ones. And we also have all metal wheels on our products. Um, yeah, I mean, our, our stuff is, I feel, very fairly priced relative to the market, especially recently. There's a lot of vendors, and I won't be shy to say this, there are a lot of vendors that are coming up to my price point that do not have a commensurate product quality level. And, um, you know, that's not up to me to point out. I think consumers can see that for themselves, but I sure notice it. I'm a modeler. I see that stuff. I look at what everybody else does. Um, you know, my 4750 covered hoppers have more than 150 parts on each of them. Um, and you know, that's a $48 car, $49 car right now. And if you divide 150, you know, if you divide 150 bucks by 49 bucks, you know, you see the part count per, um, you know, per dollar. It's, it's an interesting thing. Compare that to a shake the box kit. Yeah, for sure. And and how do you maintain quality? Like, do you go, do you travel to China very much or is it done all via email and what have you? Yeah, I go to China. Yep. My, uh, me and, uh, sometimes, uh, one of the guys that works, works for tangent, we go to China. Yep. We sure do. We have to, it's part of the, part of the keeping the company going and doing things the way that you want to do it. And how many guys do you have working for you now? Uh, tangent has two full-time employees besides myself. Okay, are you full time there now? Because I know you weren't. Um, yeah, I kind of, you know, I kind of, I, I waffle back and forth with uh, some consulting um, uh, for the real railroad world as well. So I do a little bit of everything, but yeah, I spend a lot of time on tangent. I spend a lot of my weekends and nights on tangent. So um, it's a full time job. Yeah, Don't no, get me were, wrong. <laughs> were you affected by the uh, the factory shutdown in China at all, or you were different people? Um, yeah, I was, uh, tangent was kind of affected by that. I think everybody was affected by that, to be honest, whether you were there or not, you were kind of affected by it because you spent so much time talking about it. Um, but yeah, you know, tangents, one of the many companies that was, you know, kind of involved in that factory, but, um, you know, I don't really dwell on that. It's more about, it's more about the relationship that you have with your factory. Um, uh, not necessarily with, you know, just one specific factory having a problem. There's, there's a lot of ways to uh, produce models over there. Well, you were telling me that you offer some of your cars painted, but not lettered. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We produce uh, unpainted black tank cars so that people can just decal on them. Um, we produce on, we produce unpaint. I shouldn't say this, right. I'm not saying this right. <laughs> we produce black painted tank cars that you can decal on. We produce, Pennsylvania and PC and Conrail um, boxcars that are ready for Pennsylvania PC and Conrail decals. So they're the right colors and they're glossy. So you can decal right on them. Yeah, we do that. 
And and do you ever put decals on them? Um, we have offered decals in the past for specific targeted things like extra road numbers on coal hoppers. Um, but no, we um, when we print things, we don't use decals. We we do you know full on tampo printing machines. Um, yeah. You know to tampo print the lettering and you know the ACI labels and all the other things. That went right by him, didn't it? Yeah, went, went, went right by him. He stood there like the house on the side of the road. Let <laughs> that one go by. Yeah, he was expecting a, an inside curve, and I just threw him heat right down the middle, and he just he just waved at it as it went by. You said decals, and then I said decals, so I was being a smartass. I said decals. I was trying to be a smartass. I was converting it to Canadian for you. <laughs> there you go. I love your... I speak a little Canadian. I get up there one more. Do you? Where do you go? Why Why would you come to Canada? Why Why are you coming to Canada? I uh, I like Canada. I get up there once in a while to visit with the Class 1 railroads, and uh, I rode the Canadian last year for fun, which was just an amazing experience. I rode it from Toronto all the way to Vancouver, and that was just the... I mean, a life-affirming event. I mean, that is just bucketless material there. That was so neat. You were in Toronto and you didn't tell me? I'm sorry. I stopped by Credit Valley. That's where I spent my time. Well, you could have sent me. We got to become. I think. Are you avoiding me? Am I? Am I misinterpreting the fact that we're becoming more and more acquainted with each other? Am I misinterpreting that? No, you're not misinterpreting that. You mentioned that earlier, and I appreciate it. I am not a Leafs fan, though. I just want you to know. You're not. Are you at least an original? No. Are you at least an original six fan? I am in two ways. I grew up as a Rangers fan, and I became a Chicago fan. Wow! So who would you, yeah. if it was Chicago and the Rangers in the in the playoffs, who would you be rooting for? I'd probably have to root for Chicago, but that would be a tough one. I really like the Rangers right now with Panarin. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, he's a former Blackhawk, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they fired Joel, Joel Quinville. Like, what is that all about? That was crazy. That I mean, I I am totally with you on that. And I don't know. Are you guys going to get Bruce Boudreaux? No, we uh, we got. Uh, who do we have? We have our we have our coach now. Oh, you do? Yeah. Which, I thought that was an open question. Sheldon Kennedy. Sheldon Kennedy. Yeah, we uh, hired. We took the guy from the AHL team, and everybody was really high on him. So they moved him up. Uh, they gave uh, they gave what's his name the old Hevo. What was his name? Babcock. Babcock, yeah. Mike ba- Although my son has Mike Babcock's cell, a cell phone number, so if we need him, huh. we can get a hold of him. <laughs> well, I thought I was reading in the blogosphere just just like three days ago that Bruce Boudreaux's name is coming up in Toronto, at least in the fan base, is something that should happen. But yeah, I don't know about that. I like Bruce Boudreaux, but I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he's ch- uh, Stanley Cup material. I think he's almost Stanley Cup material. Well, and for the listeners that are listening to this in July or June or whenever this thing is going to be released, this might be really old news. So don't hold it against us. No, no, exactly. And it all depends when your check arrives as to when it gets released. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk about, so what kind of consulting work do you do for the full size railroads? Um, I do some operating and strategy type work for uh, the class one railroads and a few other railroads as well. Um, I've done that kind of as a, um, kind of as my other job in my life. Yeah. Really? And is that all because of your association with the union Pacific? That's because of my experience with the UP. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So you do, I, I don't talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but you do, 
somehow the other the class one railroads have uh, turned to you or you've caught knowing you you probably just called them up and said you're doing this wrong um but some <laughs> somehow the the class one railroads are, are in contact with you to help them with operations and movements and that sort of thing you can't just yeah that's right um we i, I work with a full-on railroad consulting team um that's part of a larger company larger consulting firm and um and uh and yeah we we we're we're on a first name basis with uh the executives at at all the class ones and uh we help them out with all kinds of different things um my team that um i am part of right now um helps put together the various rail mergers in the 90s and um helped to forecast what what the railroads would look like like what a cn and bnsf merger would look like when those two um had proposed a merger um so yeah we do that kind of strategy work and we do um other kinds of special special projects just special stuff so (laughs) i can generally talk about but uh, it's really interesting you know so you can tell us there's nobody listening all right right um (laughs) Uh, okay, here's a question for you. It's a little off topic, off a tangent, but I got a couple more things I want to ask you about that. But so once I started doing this podcast, I became more and more aware of how many good sized regional railroads there are. I, I, I'm surprised more people don't model some of these regional railroads that are running, you know, SD40 2s and cheap 40s and stuff like that. Like there seems to be a lot of decent sized regional railroads in North America. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting trend. I mean, regional railroads have been kind of sprouting up since the eighties, like Wisconsin central Montana rail link, for example. Um, there's uh, kind of a move afoot from some of the class ones to reacquire their own short lines though. Um, you know, there's some of that going on. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of you know ebbs and flows in the rail business um, for sure, but yeah, and back to modeling, I think you know regional railroads are you know really key these days for a lot of modelers, and I think a lot of manufacturers have catered to that pretty well. I mean, I can think of Atlas producing you know New England Central Power, and I don't know, I I, I think I think it's you know pretty well documented in the in the in the model world that you know people want things. For example, our our B&O caboose, um, one of them was bought by the Susquehanna and, uh, the Susquehanna guys are screaming for tangent to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, that'd be cool. And that, that's what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to get back to, so how did you decide that you wouldn't be one of these companies that, you know, does pre-orders and all that? Is it just that you've run your company so well that you can, you've gotten ahead of the curve and you can pretty much do whatever you want. And you try to be as, obviously you try to be as, as knowledgeable and try to make all the right decisions. But, you know, is it like, what, what was it that made you not go down that road, which seems to be the standard way of doing business in, in that industry now with, with, uh, you know, other manufacturers? Um, I don't really have anything against the, the pre-order system per se. Um, I just don't feel it's necessary. I feel like you put your money where your mouth is, you know, I produce the models and, and then if people like them, they buy them. And if they don't like them, they don't buy them or they buy them four years later when they've been thinking about buying it and they haven't done it yet. Um, you know, so, you know, people, people have different habits for what they buy and that kind of thing. And and I don't think either way really is better per se. Um, but I do view that the way that I do it, um, is effective when you have a good quality product and you can just 
you know, you can just release it, just drop it and go. Um, and it takes some of the drama out of the, of it. Um, you know, I'm not really, I don't market tangent probably as well as I could in the sense that I don't have a lot of, you know, fancy blogs and, and funny videos and, 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 you know, I don't do the things that a lot of the other guys do. I don't go to tons of train shows, for example, too. You know, I don't, I only go to a few. So, um, you know, I, I let the product kind of lead its uh, lead on its own. And, uh, and that's where I spend my cycles. And how do you decide which train shows to go to? How many would you do a year? Um, well, that's a great question. We, uh, we try to do the national every year when there is a national, it's been canceled this summer for St. Louis, as you guys probably know. Um, but the national is a fixture that we try to go to because, uh, I feel that it's a good time of year to have a train show and, and see people. And, um, you know, the affiliation with the NMRA is important, I think for the benefit of the hobby. Um, there are some manufacturers that don't like the national because the attendance has been poor. Um, there's also some manufacturers that dislike the national. And this is one reason why I don't like it. The only reason I don't like it is because they force us to do it on a Sunday in the summer after, after a full day, Friday and a full day, Saturday, there is no need for a third day. Um, and I have been, I've been vocal with the NMRA about that as, as you know, for years, cause it's, it's a ghost town on Sunday and, and no offense to my fellow manufacturers, but you know, I don't want to be just chatting it up all day with the other manufacturers on a Sunday in the, in July when I could be outside rail fanning or being with my wife and kids. So, right. Um, so, but I will, sorry, a little diatribe there. Um, but, but yeah, um, the other shows that we go to are train fest in Milwaukee, which is a big one. And, uh, we love going there. We've been going there from the beginning because we produce covered hoppers and, uh, that was what we started with. And that's always been a good show for us because of our product base. And then, um, we do Springfield and we've done Springfield off and on since we started. Um, in the first few years, it was mostly off and a little bit of on. And, and now here in the past, I think it's six years or seven years running. I've gone consistently every year to Springfield. Um, and that's been a great show for us. And then we also try to do a handful of prototype modeler meets um, around the nation. So um, we especially focus on the St. Louis one um, because that's the biggest one of them all. Uh, and that's the one to be at. So. And why have RPM meets been uh, taken off so well? I'm I'm fascinated by them. Not, I'm fascinated by the fact that it's there is no rules. There's no there's no organization to be a part of, and yet they all have the same name. The RPM, you know, it's like the NERPM, excuse me, or MARPM, or you know, they're always the, that and RPM, and they seem to be they seem to have just grown naturally. Like any idea why that is, or is it just simply because the registration is low? It's a different, you know, people are, they, they seem to, everybody seems to have uh, embraced the fact that, you know, you try not to, you, you try not, you know, there's none of that. Look what I can do. And you can't kind of thing. There's no contest. Yeah. You know? yeah that's changed a lot. You're right. Um, in the nineties, um, I went to all of the Naperville RPMs when I lived in Chicago. And then even when I lived in, lived in Omaha, I used to go back to Chicago for those uh, that was put on by sunshine models, the original sunshine models, which was a resin company. If you might remember, it's no longer in business because uh, the owner died, but um, sunshine protein modeler meet was the place to go. It had about 200 people every year and it was a big deal in the fall. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of model comparing and, you know, you show your weathered, you know, all custom done and weathered models. And that was a big camaraderie thing. And then vendors started to participate and sell products there. Um, and then, 
Um, I think more lately, the RPM community has been a little bit more uh, friendly to those that are kind of beginners at prototype modeling or weathering equipment and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, there's, it's more hands-on. There's, there's full-on, uh, at least the St. Louis one, there's full-on clinics where you can learn about um, you know, weathering and you can actually sit with someone who's a professional, you know, guy, you know, person who's been doing it for years and, you know, he'll show you how to do it right in front of you and he'll, you know, loan you the medium to do it. If you don't bring your own, you know, you bring a car and, you know, you can borrow his stuff and, and, you know, it's just, they've become much more accommodating, I think, to the, to the, to the wider hobby. And I think that's a good thing. And that's why you have, you know, like the St. Louis meet is, grown to something like 650 people, which is probably, you know, at least two X the nearest size prototype modeler meet, maybe even three. Um, so, but that one of course benefits also from being, you know, in a central location and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what's your wife's name and your kids' names? (laughs) My wife's name is Heather and my kids' name are Henry and Lucy. Hey, Heather. Hey, Henry and Lucy. In case they're, In case they end up listening to this, you want to make sure that you mention them. Yeah, they will not listen to this. I assure you that. <laughs> well, hardly, <laughs> hardly anybody is, and apparently they won't be either. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope someone's listening to this. Otherwise, we're wasting a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've, ne- we've never had any indication that anybody is, but we're hoping to someday. <laughs> <laughs> you should be doing some stats on your website. Lionel. I should be doing some stats on the website. We think, we, well, we've had uh, over a half a million downloads in five years. Well, I think then that means something's going right. Yeah, That's probably. Um, you know what? Yeah. Um, every time I've done an interview with you, I've always had people say, oh, I listened to you on Modeler's Life. So there you go. Uh, exactly. Every time. So I know someone is listening and I'm not just, you know, BSing that. I just remembered that. that that's yeah. actually a thing. <laughs> you say that to me quite a bit. People say a lot of things to me. It's kind of exhausting, all the things that I get told. Um, but um uh, you know, and I love to hear people's stories and stuff, but sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, okay, so wait, this person did this, and you know, like you, you get to know all your client base pretty darn well with time. So well, it's a fun thing. That's the thing. Like your enthusiasm for the hobby is very obvious, and I think that's probably what we've managed to uh, emphasize during this interview is your enthusiasm for the hobby. Is like I knew I knew it'd be fun to talk to you, and I knew there'd be a ton of stuff to find out about you. I just I just could tell, and I mean. It's your enthusiasm for the hobby obviously uh, spills over into your company because you just you just love the hobby and you love to produce these cars. Like it's just it's uh, it's cool to it's cool to see it and like the podcast is probably the best thing I ever did in the hobby because I've met so many interesting people. You know, otherwise you and I would just have had you know I might have bought some cars and said hey to you and stuff like that. You know me as a name as a customer, but. I bet you, I bet you a lot of your customers are repeat customers. They eh? like, they're hardly, they're probably every time you release a car, they're probably pretty excited that you have. Yeah. I mean, we have customers that um, have been with Tangent from day one. Um, we have customers that buy a product every month. Um, we have customers that you hear from every couple of years and they buy a product. And I have customers that you literally hear from once a month, you know, and they, they're repeat guys constantly, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's really the gambit of, of things. And then, you know, I have other customers that say, oh, I buy all my stuff at, uh, you know, Credit Valley in Toronto and, you know, it's my favorite store. It's like, okay, great. You know, I'm glad you're supporting your local hobby shop. That's perfect. You know, we'll keep sending them to, to those guys. So, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, we're, we're pretty darn enthusiastic about it. And I, I do, you know, I like the products a lot. That's kind of what fuels me is, uh, I just love the love freight cars and now cabooses a lot. I've kind of become obsessed with cabooses, which is just a dangerous thing to become obsessed with now because it's like my entire product line is going to become cabooses. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it's great. It's super fun. And, uh, you know, it just twiddles the brain because you're, you know, you're learning more and more about things that you didn't know. I mean, that's the beauty of model trains and real trains is there's always more to learn, you know, like there's, there's this, you're never done. You know, yeah. it's not like, it's not like, you know, doing a jigsaw puzzle where, you know, you put in that last piece and you're like, okay, I'm done. You know, you're never done with model trains. There's always more. Yeah. Explain that to me, which explain what you think. Is that, is that it? Is that basically what you think makes the hobby tick? Because that is one of the things like you just, you just, it, you're never done. And now again, I'm, I'm rambling. I've had said this. I apologize to everybody that's listening. I know I say it on a ad nauseum basis, but now we're able to connect with everybody, each other so much easier, e easier. Is that a word? Easier. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it, it is now. Yeah, it is now. It has I'm going to so use decreed. that. I'm going to use that this week twice. Yeah. Yeah. Use that. Would you please easier? <laughs> Absolutely. Lionel, easier. Lionel says it's easier to do that. <laughs> Turn to my wife and say, you make my life easier. <laughs> I have a I have a vocabulary of like twenty seven words. Uh, okay, we're gonna finish up here. But uh, David, I'm gonna say something to you that's gonna sound incredibly rude, and I apologize in advance because I know I'm not gonna say this right. But it's something I feel like I want to tell you because I think it's important. So uh, you are so um uh in uh in uh, you're so. Uh, uh, you, you, in, you're so engaged with the hobby and with trains and railroading and that, and I've seen you at the booth sometimes. And I mean, you, you, sometimes you can seem like a pretty serious guy, but I think people need to know that you are, what people need to know about you is that, uh, under that, uh, uh presidential uh, gruff exterior of a guy that's trying to sell cars and get these cars out. You are really underneath all, uh, you're really just somebody that loves the hobby and loves his customers as much as he loves the projects that he's making. Like, I think it's important for people to realize how much you, you enjoy the customers that buy your products. I think that's as much of anything. I get the sense that, you know, I've seen you, I've seen you selling cars to people. I've stood, I, I've stood, uh, actually, this year I did it. Um, I did for a while. I stood and just watched you guys on the Saturday morning, and I could see you trying to engage with everybody that wanted to buy your product. And I think it's important for people to know that 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 not only are you just interested in selling them cars and making a couple of bucks, but you're interested in improving their model railroading experience. And I think that was pretty rude the way it came out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it shows it's hard to judge my gruff exterior, to put it in your words there. But, you know, um, there's some truth to that. I could see why you might say that. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, like I think I told you this last time we talked, when you're at a show, it's exhausting. And, you know, you, you just just getting to the show is exhausting. And, you know, we're not millionaires. We don't have, you know, lackeys that are putting together our booth and putting the stuff on there. If you got a chance to go to a train show, which you guys probably do, but most people don't have a chance to go to to go to a train show on setup day. I mean, you see, you know, you see Shane from scale trains setting up the booth with Paul, you know, and, and it's me setting up my booth with Dan and it's, uh, you know, it's Nick Molo setting up his booth and, you know, everybody's setting up their own, 
um, you know, their own booths. I mean, this is a small business, you know, kind of enterprise. Um, but yeah, it's fueled by passion and by desire for my customer experience to be really strong. I mean, I want to have my clients want to buy more cars. And it's been like that since day one. That's why we've sold direct, you know, from day one, because we want that opportunity to interface with the customers directly. And, um, you know, hobby shops are a great way to do it too. I will always say that. Um, but you know, I, when people question me like, well, I can't get this from my hobby shop. And I'm like, well, it's in stock. So, you know, you can buy it from our website. I'm not sure why you can't get it from your hobby shop. But, um, you know, we try really hard to have everybody have a great experience with Tangent. And uh, I like to shake hands with people and thank them for their business personally. Even if I don't talk to them during their transaction at the booth, I will often, you know, you know, go run up to somebody and say, thanks for your business. Because to me, it's business the old fashioned way with a handshake. And uh, that's how I want to do it. Now, we have a new problem called COVID-19. So I don't know how that's going to work in the future. But I guess we'll just have to be really good with, uh, you know, elbow bumps or just, you know, giving each other uh, a peace sign or something as we walk away. But yeah, peace, man. I can imagine you at Woodstock. I can imagine you at Woodstock. <laughs> a thumbs up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine you. So um, uh, everybody, uh, you know, people are always probably constantly asking you to, to make a certain caboose. So, uh, could, is there any chance you could make the Erie Lackawanna C three seven two? Why that one? I don't <laughs> I'm just because, curious because I, I know which one you're talking about, but why that one? And of course you do because yeah. I because I googled uh, bay window caboose images and just so I could ask you to build a particular because that must be what's constantly people coming up to you say, have you know have you have you there's a market for the for the C three seven two caboose? Have you ever thought of doing that? Yeah, I get free marketing advice every day from people, which is great. I love the fact that people are enthusiastic about it. Um, and, you know, I do listen to those requests for sure. Um, I am pretty darn versed in cars and I kind of know what I like to do. So it does help to affirm where I think the market is. There are some cabooses that people want that probably will be done by tangent. There are cabooses that people want that will never be done by tangent um, that I just don't see enough market. To do it in plastic. I mean, when I, we're talking about a plastic caboose investment, we were talking about a ton of money. It's a lot more in the freight car because there's more complexity. And uh, and the risk is a lot higher because it's only for one railroad usually because cabooses are so specific. There's no such thing as generic cabooses unless you're a model railroad manufacturer who likes to slap you know, a bunch of paint schemes on the same caboose, which we are not doing. We're doing very specific road-specific cabooses. Yeah. So could you do like the Conrail, could do like Conrail, uh, 21, two, three. Yeah. You never know. 21, two, 83 might be one of them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so is the caboose the big, the best seller you've ever had? Is it the, is it surprised you more than you expected or has there been a, what was the best, what was the car that surprised you the most as far as sales? Um, we've, boy, that's a hard one. I mean, all the cars that we have made, um, have done really well. Um, I think um, the car that surprised me the most is probably honestly the first one because the first one was the hardest one in the sense that I had no idea what was going to happen and I had no idea how the market would react because nothing was really like that on the market for freight cars. You know, at that time, there were no freight cars on the market, if I recall correctly, with wire grab irons and KD couplers out of the box. You know, like that was something that just was unheard of and, and that's Mount Roofwalk. You know, yeah. like 
So, so yeah, that shocked me a lot. And I had no idea how many to produce and I had no idea how fast they would sell. And because it was a new company selling a new product, it took a while to sell out that, that first run. And now lately our runs have been selling more, more quickly. And part of that has to do with the fact that the brand is more established. Um, part of that has to do with, uh, you know, just some of the picks that we've made lately have been really good ones and, you know, probably better than some of the others, but, uh, you know, hey, any any release is a good release, as far as I'm concerned. I, I like I like to give my customers products. You know, any, any, I really love it. Like I, I have I have fun with certain friends of mine who are, you know, friends of mine, and I don't even tell them what's coming. You know, and I'm just you know I have a friend who's like you know who was a chassis modeler, and I was like you know six months or yeah six months ago I was like save your money, you're gonna get hit. You know, and that was <laughs> you know at Christmas time we released Chessy Pullman Standard 4750s. And then 30 days later or 38 days later, whatever it was at Springfield, we released the Chessie Caboose. I mean, we just completely bombarded the Chessie modelers there. So it's kind of fun. And, and I had hinted at that in a newsletter early in the year. I said, Chessie modelers, fasten your seatbelts. So, there you so go. yeah. So how do you think this went? The podcast, this yeah. discussion? Yeah, this podcast. I think it was super fun. I love talking about Tangent. Yeah. How'd you come up with the name? Um. Well, when I moved to North Carolina, there was all this talk about the longest uh, straightaway, um, you know, on in North America is on the Atlantic coastline and in, in Georgia or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, so it's near here. And I just started to think like, you know, I really like that word. It's a very railroady word. And I didn't want to name the company after me because I don't personally agree with naming a company after yourself, per se. I wanted it to be more generic, more about trains. So Tangent was the name and scale models came along with it because that's what it is. It's, we, provi we provide scale models. All right. Okay, I'll throw another question at you. Ever any thought of dipping into the, you know, the that old great uh, standard AAR 40-foot boxcar? That's a great question. Um, yeah, you should you should probably think about buckling your seatbelt at some point for that. That's something that we've we've definitely thought about. Yeah, yeah, we've thought about those. Yeah, how about I that? hope? Are you talking about Canadian ones or American ones? Well, it's just that there's a market that you know tons of guys uh, model 50s, 60s, you know, even into the 70s are still seeing some of them. So there's a potentially huge market for that the so-called standard AAR 40-foot boxcar, which had all sorts of variations. Right here. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. Uh, I love older freight cars, especially the tank cars. That's obviously been a passion for me based on the releases you've seen. Um, I also like the old boxcars. The problem is that, you know, a lot of the old boxcars have been done. So it's kind of the F-unit syndrome where people say, you know, oh, another F-unit? Um, so... You know, there's that as a potential thorn, but um, I think there's some boxcars that need to be done. Um, and and so, you know, Tangent will be doing more boxcars in a generic sense going forward. We don't have a lot of boxcars in our line presently, but there's quite a few coming. You know, uh, I have to throw you a bit of a plug here, David, because, you know, I own several of the Tangent tank cars because they fit the area that I'm modeling quite well. And the region that I'm modeling had a lot of chemical processing and pulpwood and uh you know other paper related uh things going on so tank cars were a plenty so it's uh it's been really nice to have that selection available so that's been great that's cool do you model saint john or where, where do you model 
uh, dense with the Audible Valley, so it's all lumber, paper, you know, uh, chemical products along the seaway, um, kind of down in southeastern Ontario. So it's uh, a lot of, uh, there was formerly a lot of industry here. It's not so much anymore, but uh, it was, at one time it was very plentiful. Yeah, I've looked at aerial photos of that region, um, and it's just incredible. <laughs> there's there's so much railroading down there. So Ron, one time, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, George. I oh, sorry, Lionel. No, I'm sorry, George. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry that both of you are sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I'm, we're all sorry. I hate that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> is is Ron sorry? No. <laughs> At a boy. Well, we're we're sorry that you're not sorry. <laughs> So, Ron, if uh, you were to do a review of the Tangent N-Scale Hopper, how yes. long how long do you think that video would be, and would it be ex- exclusively about the Tangent product? Well, when I do reviews, I typically do a review specifically and exclusively of a particular product. Uh, and um, oh, you, you, those reviews I, you know, of a freight car, it's a little shorter than a locomotive review because you don't have the operation you know, quite all the details to run. Uh, but those videos usually run about, uh, about 15 minutes and, um, and they tend to do pretty well on my channel. Yeah. Typically. So it'd be good if you guys got yourselves organized and, and perhaps you got some product and then you could review it and, and that would be like free advertising for tangent scale models. Silence. You're not going to get any <laughs> argument from me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This can be arranged for sure. <laughs> in his head, Ron's like, bring it on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's like, Homer, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Too late. I, I seem to be organizing up a ton of your uh, review uh, videos now. I should be the guy. I should be vice president at Ron, at our Ron's Trains and Things uh, in charge of uh, product reviews department. Yeah, you have to or get a, uh, get a hat or something to go with it. Yeah, hat. social social media social media uh, director. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know what, guys? I was keeping score, and there yes. were six questions that were great. There you go. So, do you remember, uh, uh, David? Do you remember some of the questions that weren't that you thought to yourself, "Well, that's not that great," but I'll answer it anyways. No, I'm not generally into grading the people that uh, ask me questions. I just uh, I just like to talk about it. You know, it's my passion. Well, next time you come on, bring yourself a pen and paper and and make sure you grade us on how we do. <laughs> I could do that, but uh, yeah. you know, I don't think I don't think that's of high as high a value as talking about things that you know people want to hear about. Which is why on earth does that N scale car not run on a nine point seven five radius? <laughs> See, this would be like the Kelly questions in reverse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or why on earth when he, he used to make pro tank cars and box cars and covered hoppers, why is it all cabooses all the time now? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Ten years. Yeah, or when are you going to make an F unit? Yeah. Yeah, when are you going to make an F unit? And uh, yeah. and what did the caboose sell for? Uh, the cabooses are, uh, the first run of cabooses are eighty nine ninety five. The second run, I don't know yet. Oh, really? Yeah, you're kind of waiting on with costs and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this, uh, there's been some changes with the world lately, if you haven't noticed. So, I have <laughs> a little tricky. Everything's a little tricky now. All right. Changes? 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 Who did that song? David that Bowie. would be David Bowie. Turn and phase the strange. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I, can do, I can do music trivia pretty well. I, I'm a big fan of uh, rock and roll. 
In we, fact, we might, we, should, we might have to have a conversation. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah, we could talk about what's in what's in your turntable slash CD player right now. That's always a good question. I like to ask people as a as a teased question. Uh, do you believe in magic? Seriously? And I know you do. Exactly. Wow. In a young girl's wow. heart. In a young girl's heart. Okay. Oh my God! Love and spoonful for crying out loud. I know. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> How about how about uh, I want you back? Who is that? Jackson Five, nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, see, you're you're okay. I'm, you were you were ahead of your time, Lionel. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, no, I, I'm okay. Here, this one, you this one, you have to know. Stop in the name of love. Of course, the Supremes. There you go. Yep. Suspicious Minds. Suspicious Minds is. Uh, uh, well, you're really stuck in the '60s. Hold on, give me a second. Let me think. <laughs> well, you said you could do songs, so I need some elevator music. It's Elvis. It's not the grassroots, right? No, it's, it's not the grassroots. It's Elvis it's Presley, 1969. Yes. Oh, okay. Boy, Yoko did the cover yeah. for the uh, yes, uh, the, 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 the Elvis and Hollywood movie. Here. Oh, was, that, was that what he did? The was that what the cover was for? Yes, the uh, whatever it is. Uh, the Flying Elva, you know. Okay. Uh, Suspicious Minds was one of the greatest yeah. Elvis songs of all time. And Dwight Yoakam did a great cover to it. A great cover to it. All right. I'm going to give you an easy one. Bad Moon Rising. Clearance Clearwater Revival. No. Yeah, CCR. So, uh, for the hip for the hip kids, we refer to it as CCR. I'm surprised hey. you're not like doing, uh, you know, famous Canadians like Joni Mitchell, <laughs> Neil Young, and... There aren't you any. Know. There aren't any. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, <God. laughs> I'm a big fan of Neil Young. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's okay. Well, Gordon Lightfoot, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. Great song. My, fa- great. my favorite my favorite Gordon Lightfoot song is Alberta Bound. What a great tune. It is a great tune. Regardless of the lyrics, it is a great tune. Yeah, there's there's a the little known Canadian band Rush you may have heard of. Yeah, I'm not a big Rush fan. Oh, I'm a yeah. huge Rush. I'm sure you are. <laughs> you could be. You know what, Ron? You could be Canadian. You would fit right, right in. <laughs> you would be like. You know how to take that. <laughs> this is what, about like, what about like Stan Rogers? I love Stan Rogers. My um, my wife's dad is a huge fan of Stan Rogers, and I, you know, kind of grew up some of my formative years listening to Stan Rogers records. You guys know them? Uh, some of them. I know some. Yeah. Of them. Should I ask him, Bruce? Canadian guy. Canadian guy, right? Oh, absolutely, I think, absolutely. Canadian, I think Canadian, great Canadian musicians, great Canadian songs. Should I ask him, Bruce? I'm oh, thinking, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Tilsonburg or Sudbury. Which one should I go with? Uh, go with Tilsonburg. Uh, do you do you know who uh, Stompin' Tom Connors is? No. Yeah. Uh, it's hard in America. It's hard to you know. There's a there's a divide. You know. There's a wall. Yeah, <laughs> there isn't yeah. for me. There isn't for me. Okay, uh, Ron, I'm, I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw the bone right at his head. Have you heard of the hockey song? Oh, hockey. oh my God! Yeah, if this guy is, is he is a hockey. Oh my God! Stomping Tom Connors in the hockey song. That will he's got to have heard that. Like, I mean, come on. That will probably. Ch- I don't know. I don't know. Will, like, I can't will. think of on my head. Hello out there. We're on, on the, the air. Hockey <laughs> Okay. The player is flash. <laughs> the flash. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, back to Stan Rogers. He unfortunately died that plane uh, uh, accident uh, where they had to land in Cincinnati. The Air Canada flight was on fire. Oh, did he die in that one? Yep. 
Wow. A lot lot of, uh, that was quite the, that was quite the thing. The guy trying to get the thing down on the air, down on the ground. Holy mackerel. That was something. That was something. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. The tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. Anybody want me to keep going, or should I just call? Uh, I think we're good now. <laughs> I'll Google it. That is sufficient. <laughs> Stomping Tom Connors in the hockey song. You Google that. That will change your life. <laughs> if your two favorite NHL teams are the New York Rangers and the Chicago Blackhawks, which are two, two of the original six teams, this song will change your life. What By the time you wake up tomorrow, after you've heard this song, you will be a different man. Well, I hope we get hockey back. That's something I really hope for. I have, I have a great, and by now we will know what has happened, but uh, I have, if the NHL listened to me, this is what happened. This is the greatest, they, they could be the greatest eight months or nine months in hockey history. They re, they pick up the old, the season from uh, 2019, 2019, 2020. They pick up the season where they left off on September 1st. They finish the season, which was only about three weeks worth of time. Then they do the playoffs and the Stanley Cup, which will get them to about the middle of December. They take a week off. They play a shortened season of about 50 games. And then they have another Stanley Cup champion by the middle of June. Oh, my God. That would be like the best 10 months of sports ever. Two Stanley Cups in a, in a, in a seven-month period. Unbelievable. Yeah, that sounds great for us, but I don't know about the players. Well, it's, they're making lots of money, so we're okay. They play an awful lot of games, though, you know. They do play an awful lot of games and get paid an awful lot of money. Yeah. And for, and, for several million dollars, they can stop complaining. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, yeah, but aren't they kind of underpaid relative to, you know, the other guys like basketball and baseball and the football? But, well, they're kind of underwatched, too. <laughs> if they're watched, right. That's a podcast in and of itself. That's a podcast in itself, and but they get the they get lots of money. They get paid hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. Plus, they get the hot hockey wife. Right. So you can't you can't overlook that. Bruce, can you right. give out our our email address? Certainly. Our email address is Mother's Life. Mother's the one L. Mother's Life at Gmail dot com. And we have a website, amodelerslife.com. If you go there, you're going to find uh, uh, there'll be uh, notices of the most recent episodes. Uh, and if you want to send us an email and you can't remember the address, there'll be a picture of Bruce the Moderately Agitated Mailboy in a particularly agitated state. And if you just click on his face, you'll be, you won't need, even need to remember the email address and you'll be able to automatically send out an email, which would be yeah. cool. And also on that page, you'll see uh, uh, you can click on Patreon which will give you twice, if you spend $5 a month, you get twice as many episodes. You'll get a, uh, every Monday is a free episode and every Tuesday is an extra. Our, our very own Kaylee Zhang calls that the Antics Channel. And as well, if you're a Patreon member, you can join us in our Zoom chats, our Patreon chat room, which is, uh, which is popular with some folks and meet other Patreon members. So that's cool. I think we've covered it all, have we not? I'll just throw something in that picture you used of me on the website. That was me doing the grumpy old man look for Halloween one year, and I absolutely nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. I was go. I went looking for a picture, and I mean, I like I scrolled down your into the photos page, and it was like boom, there it was. It took me like all of five seconds to find that picture. It was a particular yeah. particularly easy day that day. So now at the end of the podcast, um, David, how do you think it went? You went. You're pretty happy with this. Yeah, it was super fun. Thanks for inviting me. Really, really, really appreciate it. I um, 
I, have, I don't think we've done the full length one. We've only done short ones in the past at shows. So it's much better to do it in this format without having tons of people, you know, taking our pictures and, you know, trying to talk to us and that kind of thing in the middle of it. So it's nice to have a kind of relaxed conversation. Absolutely. And Absolutely. now I don't really mind people taking my picture. I expect it because I'm a particularly good looking man for, for my age. Absolutely. I strike. I have a particular striking pose. Um, okay. So at the end of the podcast, you have to say happy rails to you. Can you handle that? I can say that. Sure. All right. At the, at the appropriate moment, you have to say that with gusto. All right. Do you feel like you're ready? Okay. All right. Well, David, as we close the barn doors on another episode of a modeler's life and the sun slowly sets over the back 40, I guess there's nothing else left to do except for you to say happy rails to you. Busted Knuckle, guests of a Modeler's Life podcast, stay at the Casa del Sol, Motocorton Inn, where late night dancing at the Rumber Room is a magical event to be experienced. It's another Lincoln Homer. Oh.